crowds begin to gather for the setting that is getting ready to take place. Jesus, of of course, will go to the cross, and he knows that. And we know that also. Jesus knew that's where he was going. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew those things that lie before him. And as he did, we see things are getting ready to change quite significantly, unbeknownst to all of those who are going to be involved in it beginning with the Pharisees, beginning with even some of the disciples, uh, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the people that will be gathered together in Jerusalem. It's estimated that during the Passover time, when you have Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for that period of almost eight days, it is anticipated that probably more than two million people are in Jerusalem. And so a lot of people say, well, why in the world would Jesus ever be crucified placed on a cross to die in such a significant week. Why not? It's who he was. It's why he came. He is the Passover lamb. That's that's who he is. And so as we consider the magnitude of what we're getting ready to see unfold before of us, I want us to take and we're going to dwell on one character today. And his name is Judas Iscariot. You know, and oftentimes when we talk about Judas, uh, we really don't like to go there. Uh, Most don't like to even consider him other than he is the one who betrayed Jesus. I don't think you can ignore him and what took place. Because as the clouds are beginning to gather, he is an instrumental part of this. As we watch all of this begin to unfold, in Matthew 26 is where we will be, we find the events themselves that Jesus had long predicted begin to occur. Over and over, many times he had shared with his disciples that this day was coming. They knew it was going to take place as he shared with them that he was going to be offered up, the Son of Man was going to be offered up to be crucified, to be put to death. He shared with them about his own death, that it was coming. And so it's not anything that is new. It's not anything that is uncommon. But also, let me say this to you this morning. Jesus not only predicted his death, but he also controlled it. Not only did he predict it, but he, not only did he predict it, but he also controlled it. And that's what we're going to see as we walk our way through here and begin to watch all of this unfold. And let me say this also this morning. Absolutely no human power could have accomplished it apart from God's will. None. No human power could have accomplished it. And no human power could prevent it because it was part of God's redemptive plan. So not only could it be accomplished apart from God, there is absolutely no way it could be prevented Because it was part of God's redemptive plan. Matter of fact, Jesus himself made this statement when he was brought before his accusers and stood before the crowd. And matter of fact, here's what Jesus said as he was questioned. One of them that questioned him said, don't you realize that I have the power to put you to death? Jesus looked at him and said, the only reason you have it is because it's been given to you. And so we see that from Jesus himself, not only... 
Did he predict it? But he also controls it. Look at verse 1 through verse 5 of Matthew chapter 26. And so when Jesus had finished all of these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. There it is, he tells them again. He said, in two days, after two days, the Passover is coming. So it's shortly, it's just around the corner. And the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion, verse 3. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, understanding and realizing that Caiaphas was the Roman-placed high priest, not Annas, who, of course, would come after the tribe of Levi or after the order of Aaron. And so Caiaphas is acting high priest here. Verse 4, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Matter of fact, if you go to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, and we'll watch as it continues to unfold. Mark chapter 14. Verse 1 through verse 2. Mark chapter 14, verse 1 and verse 2. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. And then this morning you heard Luke chapter 22, verse 1 through verse 6 read to you, and now I want to go to John chapter 11, all right? John chapter number 11. Verse 47, on, after Jesus is raised, or after Lazarus is raised from the dead, now we see the chief priests and the Pharisees convene another council in verse 47. And they were saying, John chapter 11, verse 47, and they were saying, what are we doing for this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were more concerned about their comfortable position with inside of Jerusalem and under the Romans than they were about the issue that was at hand. And so it continues, verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they plan together to kill him. So we see this plot to kill Jesus. Let me tell you something. The easiest way 
to stop something from continuing. It's just to take it out. And so for Jesus, as they conspired together, this one who was claiming to be the very Son of God, this one who was claiming all of these all of these relationships and who he was and all the miracles and all these things that Jesus had accomplished. We're more concerned about the uprising that he may create than what was going to take place as a result. But then you have Judas Iscariot. And Judas comes on the scene. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be going back and forth between these. Matthew chapter 26 Because who is the one who is going to start this in motion? Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, and I want you to understand, he was one of the twelve. And I want you to understand about all of the things that Judas had been associated with. I mean, he'd heard him teach, he'd seen all the miracles. He watched all of this unfold in front of him. He heard Jesus predict many times his own death. So Judas had been a part of all of this. And then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priests. And he said, it's an interesting question that he asked. He said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? In other words, how much is it worth to you for me to betray him and offer him up to you? And so they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. It's interesting that it's 30 pieces of silver. What is the significance of 30 pieces of silver? Well, it's the money that was paid for the betrayal that was offered to him. And consider this, it was no more than the price paid for a slave. of 30 pieces of silver, Exodus chapter 21. And so that's what they offered to him. To portray to betray Jesus Christ in the, verse 16. And so from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. Mark 14, verse 10 and verse 11. Mark 14, verse 10 and verse 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this. You ought to underline this. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at the most opportune time. So, so what do we draw from this? What do, we, what, do we, what do we do with all of this as it begins to unfold? Here's what I want. Listen, please listen to me this morning. Judas was willing to betray the very one who had come to be a Savior. Willing to betray the very one who had come, who, who, who had come to be a Savior. Offer him up. How much are you willing to pay? How much are you willing to give? My question today is, I wonder how often and how much he's betrayed today. 
How often is Jesus betrayed today? How much does it take to betray Jesus for who he is? What is the cost? What is the price that could possibly be lifted up to betray him? Let me say this this morning. Judas had every opportunity to turn from his sin. As much opportunity as was ever afforded to anyone. He saw him. He witnessed it. He spent time with him. He heard his teaching. But then you have God's redemptive plan. That was going to take place and unfold. And it was going to occur exactly the way God had determined that it would. And matter of fact, it was coming. The cross was set before him. Matter of fact, we find it in Scripture, in the book of Hebrews, who for the joy of the cross that was set before him. Jesus knew where he was going. But I'll say this to you as well. Consider this as he walked down through the Kidron Valley's just before he makes his way into Jerusalem for these final hours and these final days, and Jesus stops and he begins to weep. Why does he begin to weep? He begins to weep over the city. He begins to weep over his own people. Why? Because they had refused to believe in who he was. Judas heard every lesson that Jesus taught. During his, during his ministry. You know, it's interesting. He listened to all of that. Unmoved. Unmoved by any of it. As a matter of fact, here's what he did. He kept up his deceit. What do we know about Judas? He was a thief. He was a traitor anyway. That's who he was. Matter of fact, it was Judas who handled and took care of the money for the group. And matter of fact, one of the things that we find in Scripture, here's what Judas also did. He also pilfered from the treasury. That's who he was. He was a thief. To offer up and to betray the very Son of Man himself. And for how much are you willing to give? You know, it almost sounds like an auction block. How much for him? How much are you willing to give? How much are you willing to pay? How much is he worth to you today? God help us that we would never find ourselves in that place trying to determine how much he's worth to us. Is he worth more than the world has to offer? Is he worth more than our own selfishness has to offer? Do you understand he gave his life for you? Because of his great love for you. And so what does it draw from us? Does it draw service from us in our lives every day? Or we, do we betray him with our lives? Because of who he is? Well, how much is the cost? How much is it worth? How much time is it going to take? How much effort is it going to take? You know, here's, here's something interesting. I've been through all four of the Gospels, reading these accounts in absolute detail. And here's something that jumped out of the page at me just this past Thursday. And here's what it is. Jesus was anointed 
with overwhelming love by Mary and adoring worship and betrayed with overwhelming hate by Judas at the same time. What a picture of the world we live in today. Bestowed with adoring worship and overwhelming love in one minute and at the same minute absolutely betrayed with overwhelming hatred. Why do they hate him so much? Let me tell you something, something that just, it, 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 it bothers me today. How in the world can you hate him so much? I'll tell you why. It's called sin and selfishness. That's why. But what happens from here? Let's go to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. You know, I get asked this question a lot. Here comes the question. How in the world could a disciple betray Jesus? I think Luke 22, verse 1 through verse 6 gives us the answer. Luke chapter 22, verse 1 through verse 6. Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. Verse 3. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. Is it? It was over. Verse 4, and he went away and he discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. Now I want you to notice verse 6. So he consented. And he began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. That's who he was. See, Judas Iscariot was. To betray him to the crowd. How much is it worth to you? We'll give you some money. 30 measly pieces of silver that would be paid for a common slave in Exodus. I just want you to think about some things with me this morning. In closing, as we look forward to what we're getting ready to celebrate. Now, I'm going to tell you something. And here's the most amazing thing to me. is when we come to this time of the year, our churches will be packed out. But soon as Easter's over. Really? Let me say this to you. If Easter Sunday morning, is that important to us every Sunday morning thereafter ought to be? Let me ask you a question. Do you love him? Or are you willing to betray him for what the world has to offer? The bigger question is this, this morning. How could anyone turn against the Creator? How could anyone turn against the Creator? He created us. He created all that you see. And all 
all of the universe. He created all of that. And because he loves us so, he provided a way. He paid a debt that you and I could never pay. I want you just to let that sink into you for just a few minutes. Understand, understand the magnitude of that. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, evil and sin is always irrational, senseless, and self-destructive. That's what sin is. Judas irrational? Yeah. Was was he senseless? Yeah. Was he self-destructive? Yes. He was all of those. That's who Judas was. You see? Satan is the one who promises and will promise joy okay, to you, but deliver sorrow, pain, and death. He's the accuser. He's the accuser. That's who he is. As a matter of fact, here's one of the things he loves to do. Surely God didn't say this. Surely this isn't true. Surely this isn't correct. Matter of fact, he's the very one who says, well, let me tell you, all you have to do is just believe in God. Scripture says it's far more than that. So, matter of fact, even Satan and his angels tremble at that. They tremble at who he is. They know who he is. It's more than just that. Let me close with this this morning. Let me just say this. And apart from God's grace, please listen to me. And apart from God's grace, we too could easily act just like Judas. So let me ask you a question today. Who is he to you? Is he someone that we would be willing to give up because of the price that something is willing to pay or offer for him? What about you today? Do you know him? Boy, I'll tell you what. I'll say this starting starting this next Sunday. Things are going to ramp up all the way to Easter Sunday. And the enthusiasm and in the in, in, in all of those who participate. But what happens when it's over? You see, for me, for me, it's just, it, it's a privilege. It, it, it's a privilege. It's a, it's a joy for me. 
And I'll also say this this morning. There are, there's not enough time left in all of eternity that I could be able, ever be able to thank him enough for what he's done for me. So what about you? Do you know Jesus Christ today is your personal Savior? Maybe you're here today and, you know, you've been down that road and you're kind of separated from everything and it's time to get back. It's time to get back and say, I'll take Jesus Christ and I'll take what he has for me versus everything the world has to offer. Amen?